Mac Power Users, Episode 83, Workflows with UV Zalco. everyone. This is David Sparks. Along with me is Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. And Mr. Yuvi Zalko. Yuvi, welcome to the show. Hi, great to be here. You know, I've been a fan of yours for some time, and I'm really glad that you were willing to come on a workflow show, because I just think the stuff you do is great. Um, we've talked about you on the show before, actually, a few times. I think we spoke about him on the Hazel show most recently. Did you send some Hazel workflows, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I did. I was uh, thrilled that you mentioned my half-baked Hazel role. Okay. Well, so so if you're not familiar with UV, he's got this website, uvzalco.com. And UV is a novelist, in addition to many other talents. But the real reason we wanted him on the show was he makes these outstanding little short videos. And UV, how did you get into right, to making these videos? Yeah, it really is a, a, a kind of me stumbling my way through it. Originally, when I was getting my master's in creative writing... I, I had to give a lecture and I had a bit of stage fright. So I figured, well, maybe I could see if, uh, if I pre-record half of the lecture, I could get away with, uh, not having to perform live. And it turned out it was so much fun just trying to cobble together a presentation with keynote and recording some audio and little, uh, animation tricks to entertain the audience that I got hooked on doing it. And, Every round, I just try to force myself to learn some new trick or try it a different way. So that's how I got into it. <laughs> I, I look at you and Don McAllister's kind of bookends of video publishing on the web where, you know, Don has got this very polished, I mean, he's got the Liverpool accent. It's yeah, like perfect in every way. <laughs> and yours are more like they are kind of cobbled together, but intentionally, you know, though. I, like, I don't know the cobbled together, maybe freeform or. But they're like, yeah, I like, I kind of do this intentionally raw, uh, messy shtick that uh, I I don't mind putting into, I mean, making it clear that I'm doing it that way. Yeah, well, it's great. I mean, well, and your whole thing about the number of times, you, how many times did you submit your book before it got approved? Uh, it was rejected uh, maybe 30 or 40 times. And, you know, I've been rejected hundreds of times as far as short stories and essays. So um, I've familiar with rejection. <laughs> yeah. So he, he, so you've got this theme on his website about how I'm a failed writer and, and he talks about that openly. And of course, at the end of the day, you are, uh, you've got a publisher and you are writing a novel now. So it's not like you really are a failed writer. In fact, I'm, I, you may have to change your name at some point for this stuff. Yeah. Someone just asked me that. And I think my take is just now I'm going to feel like an even bigger failure now that I'll have a few successes to even screw up my failures. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. I love that you're so open about it. And the fact is that you just keep swinging. And I've talked to so many people about you. Whenever I meet someone who is, uh, is having trouble with whatever they're doing, I say, Hey, look, let me tell you, I, I have this friend. So you've been promoted in my life. You're one of my friends, even though we've never been in the same room together. And I say, you know, he, he has tried to get a novel published and he submitted it 30 or 40, or maybe I'll say 50 or 60 times. I'm not sure. Maybe I'll expand a little bit, but the fish at the end keeps of the getting day, bigger. Yeah, yeah, same, at the end of the day, me. you know, you, you did get a publisher and you're writing a novel and that's your dream. I, I think it's awesome that you stuck with it like that. And it's also fun reading your, your website because you put these entries in once in a while talking about the struggles you have going through it. 
And uh, I've written a few books myself, and I, I completely relate to everything you say. Even though my books are, are nerdy tech books, um, I feel exactly – I feel your pain. Yeah, say yeah, that. I'm sure. Yeah, A um, book is a book but, with a ton of work that goes into it. Yeah, and it's always like 10 times as much as you thought. It's just, there's just no way around it. Okay, before we get into the writing, before we get into the video, and before we get onto that, let's, let's take a couple steps back and, and let's find out you're, you're here. So I'm assuming that means you're a Mac user, right? Yeah, I am a, a, been a pretty hardcore Mac user, but I'm new to the Mac. But ever since I got into it, maybe three or four years ago, I got into it hardcore as far as realizing there are so many interesting writing tools. So maybe five years ago, I was pretty much doing all my work with Microsoft Word on a Windows machine, but I, I've since transitioned into an obsessive Mac user and iOS Tell us user. about how that transition happened. Um, you know, I, you would think that coming on to Mac Power users, I should have remembered my origin story here, but uh, <laughs> I can't remember. I think... It was, I'm trying to remember. I think it was something along the lines of Scrivener, learning about Scrivener and realizing how fascinating that was. And then getting a, a MacBook Pro and dabbling with Scrivener. And that got me into, oh, there's a lot of interesting text editors. And then there's a lot of, the Keynote is a lot more interesting to me than PowerPoint. And I just kept running into all these ways that, there are some fabulous creative tools. And then it shifted into the iPhone and the iPad where I, I do a tremendous amount of my work on those devices uh, nowadays as well. But I think it might've been Scrivener. That was the big thing that it was before Scrivener was available for windows. And I just realized this thing is exactly what I'm looking for to help organize my extremely messy novel at the time. Yeah, Keith really just, Keith just nailed it with Scrivener. Yeah, uh, there's I, so many, there's so many people I know who switched over just for that app. It's like the BB Edit for writers. <laughs> yeah, and I've had to, you know, sometimes it's a little intimidating for my friends who are not techie types, and I, I'll get on on their computer, I'll use uh, iChat or something to take over their computer, and just walk them through, give them a ten or fifteen minute tour of it, and all of a sudden I've brought people to tears with how much Scrivener does just what they were looking for, for their big project. You know, you did, in fact, you did a screencast on using Scrivener, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah, uh, a, a very a long, or just a one-hour uh, screencast on partly presentation. That is a long yeah, screencast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that really killed me to pull that off. <laughs> what tools do you use to, to create these, these screencasts? Uh, it is a, a, a lot of different tools. So maybe I can start with maybe what's at the foundation and kind of talk about the yeah. various ways. But the tricky thing about it is every time for some uh, um, masochistic reason, I try to do it a different way. Uh, so, but at the, fl at the core of all of this, I use ScreenFlow to bring all the audio and video together. So you're not using Final Cut, you're using ScreenFlow as kind of your underlying engine to create these. Yeah, and it's funny because I, uh, lately I, I've been stepping away from the more formal screencasting kind of stuff. I only barely do any screencasting, but I'm so comfortable um, and familiar with ScreenFlow and it's just so easy to put it together and it's a good enough quality for what I'm looking for 
that I just haven't messed with anything like Final Cut Pro for this material. Well, I'd agree with you. ScreenFlow, if you're interested in any kind of video production that involves screencasting, is probably the best $100 you can spend on the Mac, in my opinion. I love yeah. it. I use it all the time. I just, I've got hours and hours of screencasts I've published using that app. And I'm just not interested in anything else because it works so well. Yeah, it's really an end-to-end solution. I know a lot of people who kind of yearn for the old timeline view that used to be present in the older versions of iMovie will take their video files and move them into ScreenFlow so they can edit them. In fact, our our friend Don McAllister just finished up a three-part series of his screencasts online yeah. on using ScreenFlow that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I even I look I read I watched the second one so far and and even though I've been using ScreenFlow for hundreds of hours, I still learned a few little tricks from him. Well, I'll tell you, you know, Don works with a lot of software, but of all the software he works with, I would want to see how he uses ScreenFlow the most because he uses that one every week. Right. So ScreenFlow is is what you use to do the actual recording and you do your editing in that as well. Yes. And then what are what are you recording? Because we know that this this isn't you sitting here talking and lecturing. These are animations and things are flying and zooming in and out <laughs> all over the screen and Yeah, well, I How I've, does that all happen? Yeah, so I've evolved it in a few ways. One is I kind of break things into the the full-blown animations where I'm actually like making a stick figure go across or drop a ball or whatever it is I'm doing. And the ones that are more me just scribbling on the screen. Um, and so when I'm doing the full blown animation, I use uh Toon boom studio, which is not so cheap. I think it's like a $200 animation tool. And I use about 2% of what it does, but it's, I haven't found one that quite does what I need. So I've kind of had to go up to Toon boom studio, but it, it, it it's a bit of a learning curve and uh, it's, I, I'm not too, uh, amazing at it. So I stumble my way through it. So this is just, I stop photography basically. It's so uh, you're taking a picture, moving something just a little bit, taking a picture, moving it again, taking a picture, moving it again type. Yeah. And, well, and, and, and yeah. And sometimes I'll use some of, they have some uh, animation techniques that I'm not even savvy enough to know what the term is for, but you can use like a keyframe and then move, move your object or rotate it. And it will do the animation between frame one and frame 50. So uh, it's not always like frame by frame uh, animation there. And so I fiddle around in there, but I do a lot of it just scribbling on a canvas. And up until recently, I did that with Sketchbook Pro on my Mac, uh, which you also Sketchbook Express is a free version. I Sketchbook Pro just costs a little bit more. And I, so I've been doing that and I have a bamboo tablet that I scribble on with a pen. But uh, the most recent video, I just tried to do it on my iPad. I use that kind of po- recently popular app pa- paper. Is that what it's called? Paper. Mm-hmm. And I used reflections to record what I was doing on my Mac from my iPad. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, it's not like it uh, is flawless, but it was a pretty cool way to do it. And it was a lot more fun and it was quicker. So, you know, I'm evolving that, how I do that each, each, each video. I haven't watched the most recent one yet is the, how do you deal with the uh, blue line you get from uh, on the screen from the reflections app? You know, when you're doing an air connect 
or an airplay, it usually puts a blue line across the top. Well, that's interesting because it usually does, but with paper, it just went full screen and that it, it just, it, the blue line was gone. So I wonder if, if they've just gotten, you know, programmatically kind of gotten rid of that. Cause yeah, I didn't, I didn't have that. That's a good point. Yeah. I've, I've left it there. I've done a couple screencasts where it's still there, the blue line. And I don't think it really bothers the production too much, but yeah, it is interesting. I think for yours, it could be distracting because the way you make these videos. Yeah. Yeah. It was a nice, just full screen canvas. And I, I do kind of crop it on the, uh, on in screen flow as well, but, but I don't think there was a blue line there to start with. So. All right. Well, this is probably a good place to take a quick break and let's talk about our first sponsor, the Omni group. And David, I think we want to talk a little bit about Omni focus, you know, one of our favorite applications from the Omni group. And I know you've had a lot of people ask you, I have people ask me all the time, why should I use OmniFocus over some of the other applications that are out there? You know, task management is a big category. There are a lot of people that are doing this now. They range anywhere from not very you know, free to not very expensive to very expensive, and they have all kinds of functionality. Why should we use OmniFocus over these other applications? And one of the reasons that I keep coming back to is OmniFocus is just an all-inclusive solution that does everything in one application. They seem to have it covered. One of the reasons that I switched to OmniFocus initially from one of the other applications that I was using was Sync. Now they're using the OmniSync server, but of course you can use WebDAV or FTP or any of a number of other sync services. But Omni seamlessly syncs all of your data across their multiple platforms, whether it be the Mac, whether it be the iPhone, whether it be the iPad. And that was so important to me because I'm doing more and more of my uh, task management and more and more of my review on the go. You know, maybe I start by inputting my projects on the Mac, but I'm checking things off all day long on the iPhone or the iPad, or I'm reviewing on the iPad. And that brings me to another aspect of why I use OmniFocus is because it is everywhere. They have products for the Mac. They have products for the iPhone. They have products for the iPad that all integrate seamlessly with each other. Have you used the syncing on the new iPad? You've got the iPad with yeah. the LTE connection, correct? Uh, no, no, no. I have Wi-Fi. Oh, okay. Well, let me tell you yep. something. I, I was at court the other day, and I had the LTE turned on. It is like crazy how fast OmniFocus syncs over this 4G connection. I mean, it's nuts. Okay, Revenant. Yeah, it's great. I, sh- I, sh- I should have gotten. I should have gotten the 4G iPad. Yeah. Next time. But yeah, so Omni's been working on the syncing technology for I guess it would be years now, and they continually uh, refine it and make it more efficient. And the fact is, you can take it for granted that you can get your data synced over to your iPhone or your iPad very quickly, even on the 3G connection, and that allows you to have your tasks anywhere or to be able to work on them anywhere. So. Uh, when I get stuck waiting in line and somebody's playing Angry Birds, I may be dealing with OmniFocus, which makes me kind of weird, but it also makes me uh, kind of put together. So I really like it. I, I think OmniFocus is is so much better than the competition because they sweat the little details. Another one that I think is really important with OmniFocus is review. Um, I'm not aware of any other app for the Mac or the iPad that lets you review your tasks on a time period set by yourself. In fact, I just did a recent post at Max Barkey about how I have a review task every day now. I don't just review once a week. And the reason why is because I would find that if I reviewed once a week, I'd have like 40 tasks to review. And I'd be really good for the first 10. And after that, I'd start to fall apart because I'd want to get on with my day. 
So now I review every day, and maybe it's just two or three projects a day, but then I really spend the time necessary to to review them. And I know this is kind of uh, getting things done canon or whatever, but if even if you're not into getting things done, the idea of reviewing your tasks on a regular basis and your projects is going to make you more efficient, and OmniFocus makes that possible. Just a great app. I, I think... Uh, it, the other thing I like about it is the way they've really taken the time on each different platform to think about the best app. I mean, the iPhone app is different from the iPad app, and which is different from the Mac app. The you know the the team at Omni really looks at each platform and says, well, what what can we really do well on this? And they make that happen. Right. Well, you can pick up OmniFocus for the Mac either from the Omni website or in the Mac App Store for eighty dollars. The iPad version is available in the iTunes store for $40, and the iPhone version is available for $20. So they have solutions that cover all the platforms. So you go check them out. Uh, you know, one last point about the Omni Group is a lot of people write in and say, gee, Dave, you know, it took me a year to finally get around because I didn't want to spend that much money. But when I bought it, I realized how great it was, and I wish I had done it sooner. Uh, a lot of people don't realize it, but Omni has a return policy, even on their iOS apps. So if you buy it and you're not happy with it, let them know. Um, so, you know, if the only thing holding you back is the cost, give it a trial. And you can get a refund if it doesn't work out for you. Right. Okay. And thank you to Omni for their support of Mac Power users. I wanted to talk briefly about just the the background for these videos. So I understand you started making them, you know, an effort to kind of deal with your, your, um, uh, your, your, your worries Angst. about yeah. yeah, I guess I didn't want to use that word, <laughs> but you know about public speaking. You wanted to put something together to kind of break the ice before you began talking, but this has become something much bigger for you. Okay. There's a lot of people on the internet. I mean, I've I've never been to your hometown, but I really enjoy each of your videos. Um, when do you when you decide to make a new video? How do you go about planning it? And you know, let's work back up oh, a little yeah, bit in the process. Yeah, well, yeah. It is a pretty intensely time-consuming process. I've uh, because I, I also simultaneously post these videos on a, a writer b- website called Writer Unboxed, and uh, they're a fabulous community there. There, so I I've committed to doing this once a month, which is more than what's more frequent than what would be comfortable for me. Um, sure. And so I found a method where. Before I embark on it, I just kind of think through what are the little rants or obsessions I have that I want to talk about. And so I brainstorm a few different things that I've been wanting to talk about. Some months, it's obvious to me, like I'm dying to talk about how I spent too much time trying to get accolades for my writing and not enough time writing. That was my most recent one about the need to write a lot. So I I know I have this little... Uh, story I want to tell. And what I'll do is I'll scribble some rough notes down in a text editor of like how I would like to tell this anecdote. And then I'll, I'll record the audio up front before I do anything, which is probably different than screencasting. David, you could tell me if you do it this way, but I think it's unusual for a screencaster to first record the transcript, you know, the, the audio portion. So I, I start off with the storytelling up front. Yeah. I've tried that technique. It won't work for me because I'm trying to show people how to do things. Yes. And I can never get the mouse to match up with the way or the speed I dictated it at 
earlier. So I've got to do it at the same time. And as a result, they become out very jumbly and my usual assault of ums gets in there, but I can't help myself. Do you actually have a a script that you're reading? Do you get to that detail of point where you start with an outline and you end up with a script or do you start with, with ideas and then outline and then just freeform something from there? It turns out it, it is a rough script. Once again, this is to cope with my angst, you know, so I don't get, even when I'm pre-recording in my attic, um, I'm a little nervous beforehand. So I have a script just to calm myself down. So I feel like, well, I am prepared. I don't have to worry about that. But when I, when I press record, it, it goes a lot different than the actual script, but that's like my, it has at least the mileposts along the way for me. So I do prepare a script and then go off the script. <laughs> you know, I'm the same way when I give a, a opening statement or closing statement or some type of presentation that's very important to me. I usually memorize the first paragraph. Oh, I won't smart. have the rest of it planned out, but I always know walking in there for the first paragraph, I can do that on autopilot and it just helps me get started. Yeah, that's a great idea. I should, I need to steal that method. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, as soon as you get, because once you get rolling, it's something you're passionate about, you're going to do fine. But for some reason, those first couple sentences could become a train wreck. Yeah. And, and I find, at least from my previous public speaking engagements, when I start off messy, it is really hard to recover from that because the whole time you're thinking about the mess you started. <laughs> um, yeah. Did, did, now, do you do you record that into Wiretap Studio? Yeah, so I, I recorded. I have a Blue Yeti microphone. I recorded into Wiretap Studio, and I do some rough editing there. Just get rid of some of the ums. You know, I don't kill myself to make it perfect. But I'll get rid of some of the the uh, dead space and the ums, and oftentimes I'll find I go off on a tangent that I can very elegantly just completely remove, and the story works just fine as is. So I'll see how much I can tighten it uh, while I'm in there. Then I export it out of there, and I use Levelator. Uh, to level out the audio. And do you guys know how this works? Because I honestly oh, don't. Levelator is a great tool. I don't know. It's magic. Yeah. But whatever it is, is it it fixes it so it's the audio levels are great when it comes out of there. Um, yeah. It's just donationware. So it's that's that's a hell of a valuable tool for me. I think I think Levelator is the secret weapon of the podcast community. Yeah. Every every good podcast I know run through Levelator. And for me it's kind of a test. If I try a new podcast and they haven't levelated it where I'm sitting there running the, the volume dial between two different people talking, that doesn't last very long, you yeah. know. And what's amazing to me is sometimes, you know, I'll be too close to the mic and then too far from the mic and and I'll be thinking, you know, I'm going to have to redo this thing. This isn't good enough and Levelator fixes it, or at least makes it good enough where I think, ah, oh, this should work. <laughs> so, um, One of the things I've started doing is I used to just levelate our tracks at the end when we were done. I would export the final product and levelate that. And I've actually started levelating our individual tracks before they go into GarageBand oh. just because of that reason. Because you'll find that just naturally, at least me, I don't know, maybe David's very stoic over there when he, when he does the podcast, but I move around when I talk. Yeah. And sometimes I'll be on one side of the mic. Sometimes I'll be on the other. Sometimes I'll be up close. Yeah. I have poor mic technique. Yeah. I'm, I'm terrible about it. So, um, 
Yeah. And so, uh, should I keep going? Let's say I, so I've got the, usually I have that audio down and if I can steal some of my wife's time, what I do is I make her listen to the four minutes and check out how interested or bored she is with it. Uh, she's a great, uh, she's a great, uh, I just watching her react is great value for me to find out, is this a good enough story that I can animate through? Um, or do does it need to go back to the drawing board? Have you ever had that happen? You finish it and she says, no, yeah. you can't do this. And she either. doesn't say she's too, uh, she's too polite to say, no, you, you just blew it. But I can tell where she's like, yeah, that, so that's nice. And I'll realize, oh no, that didn't work. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so then I'll, I'll just go back and do it. And usually my problem is I'll, I try really hard with these presentations never to be preachy or act like, dear audience, this is how you need to fix things. So usually my issue is I just need to focus once again on just telling my story and seeing if this can help other people, but really focusing it on my mistakes and my, uh, successes rather than, trying to tell people how to do things. Well, for instance, you did a video called tyranny of the New Yorker and you talked about how you felt like such a failure because you love the New Yorker and then you got married and had kids and the New Yorker starts showing up every week and you're really busy and you watch them stack up. And um, (laughs) I know exactly how you feel because there's not that many things I read, but I really like the New Yorker. And I I even subscribed on my iPad, even though it doesn't look so great on the iPad 3. And I open up the app and I see weeks worth of episodes that I have not touched. And they like mock me. They just look at me (laughs) like, you know, you pseudo intellectual. Why are you even subscribing? Because you can't even take the time to read me. And <laughs> and it made me feel much better when I watched your video. <laughs> yeah, that one really hit. You know, a lot of them I f- fall in the I'm a failed writer series, which is talking to writers or creative types. But the tyranny of the New Yorker one was a little more broad to anyone who's guilt ridden by something they should be reading that they can't, they don't have time for. And I got tons of feedback from people just saying, thank you. <laughs> I have that same problem. <laughs> that was a fun one. But you did some other really good ones too. The the one you did on lists recently was very good. On big projects and small lists. Yeah. And 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 that one you used text. Uh, you used a scrolling text for your video instead of the the diagrams. Yeah, that one. How did you do that? Yeah, that one was a weird one. I just decided, hey, what happens if I try to do nothing but text or ASCII art to tell this whole story? And so I used – in that case, I used – even though I like byword in general for my my traditional writing, I also like to use Rightroom. And that one, Rightroom, you know, you can really customize the fonts and the colors and all that. So I picked a font and a color that seemed to work well for plain text and ASCII art. And I just wrote some lists down. I created some of my own ASCII art very poorly. And I also – uh, use somebody else's ASCII art who I credit in the video. And I just kind of scrolled the screen to show various clips. It's kind of like a very crude way of just sliding the, sliding the, or, you know, moving the page uh, to show different parts. And of course I was also using ScreenFlow to record myself creating some of the lists. And I did a few little flourishes where I animated some of the text, but mostly it was just, recording the screen as I use a text editor. So you just had Rightroom open in full screen mode. 
Yeah. And you were running the ScreenFlow recorder mm-hmm. and talking, presumably then, or were you just playing the audio in ScreenFlow and just performing, in essence, the the, the presentation by scrolling the oh, window? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's a good question. Because if you, we going back to the fact that I've pre, I pre record the audio just because that's the most efficient way I know how to do it. So I already have the story uh, recorded from an audio standpoint. So what I do is I record, I'll record the screen flow. I mean, with screen flow, I'll record the video of what my screen is doing in that case as I'm scrolling it. And I'm, I, this is kind of weird, but I'm just roughly guessing how quickly to do this stuff based on my uh, familiarity with the story. I'm not even playing the audio when I'm recording the video. And then I go to great lengths in screen flow to, to pace everything just right. So I'll speed some things up. I'll slow some things down. I'll have to freeze frame a few moments. So I do a ton of editing to pace the video to match the audio. Uh, but I'm doing them completely separately for whatever stupid reason I have of kind of coming up with this workflow. <laughs> Does that make well, sense I, I, or should I clarify? Yeah, it? but I, I think you could get around it. It seems to me like you could just play the audio file Mm-hmm. Uh, in the ba- in the background yeah. app, and have, for instance, bi- um, what was it, um, Right Room open in full screen? Yeah, because you can set ScreenFlow not to record any audio. Yeah, and I have done that before. I wonder why I've changed my method. Yeah, that that seems like a, a far more efficient method of doing it. I wonder. Well, I think that might work for something where he had the scrolling text going, but I'm not sure that that technique is going to work as well for for some of his other videos where he has all the animations flying in and, yeah. and, oh, and so sure. many different elements coming on top of each other. Oh, and yeah, I think that that reminds me of why I, I don't do it that way is because like even with the scrolling animation that I did for the text, I am doing it a lot slower than the actual pace of the storytelling, which is pretty quick. So even even for the text, almost everything you see is sped up two, three, four, sometimes ten times from how fast I really did it in real time. So almost nothing is real time because I'm trying to keep up with my neurotic storytelling. Yeah, um, and that, that really adds to it because yeah. you're drawing the little diagrams and you're drawing them very quickly. Yeah, and so you, you the, as the uh, as your audience, I really enjoy seeing the diagrams develop. But if I had to sit there and watch you draw it at real time, I think it would be really boring. Yeah, yeah, that, that's. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! You don't draw that fast? Now, <laughs> no. now I've totally lost the magic. Oh no, no! I my life goes far more slower than the presentations make them sound. I mean, I've actually bumped up against a weird limitation of screen flow that I'm probably the only user to bump up against, which is. You can only speed things up to 1,000%. And last I checked, you can't go above that. So I have to oh make sure goodness. I'm I, – I can only go 10 times faster. And sometimes I wish I could go 15 times faster than my slow pace in real time. <laughs> All right. So why don't we take another break here and talk about our next sponsor, and that is Fujitsu and their ScanSnap line of scanners. Now, David, I know that, that you are in love with these scanners as, as much as I am, and – uh, you do quite a bit of OCR with these scanners, don't you? That's kind of a new thing for me. Um, you know, the Fujitsu line has got some great software. Just the Fujitsu Scan Snap Manager software that comes with whichever scanner you buy. They've got three. They've got the S1500M, which is the desktop model. 
Then they've got the S1300, which is kind of the portable model. And then they've got the 1100, which is the one that fits in your briefcase, the really small one. But they all come with the Fujitsu ScanSnap Manager software. And this stuff is great. It, it, it figures out whether or not the picture is or the document has got color or black and white and which way is up for the text. So it'll auto-align auto the, the document. I love it because it figures out if you put it in upside down or backwards because it scans both sides at the same time on the on the uh, higher end models. So you can tell immediately if you flip something around and it will fix it for you. The other thing this software will do is it will recognize text in your document. It will automatically run an OCR algorithm as soon as you scan the document in. We've talked in right. the past about putting together workflows where you scan documents and you create a, a folder on your desktop where you have PDF pin load up and automatically run OCR for you. But that's really a separate process. With the Fujitsu software, you don't even have to bother with that. You just put it in, you press the button, it scans the document and performs the OCR. And I was always a little hesitant to do that because, you know, the Macs weren't fast enough to keep up with the OCR. It would take a while and that would slow down the process of capturing documents. Well, uh, we just recently did a show on Hazel and I spent some time with Hazel and decided I'd just go ahead and turn that switch on for a while. And let me say that this has got a lot better. I mean, because the Mac, I think, is much faster now and they probably got more efficient with their algorithm the Fujitsu ScanSnap software can get your OCR on that document very quickly. And all you have to do is check the checkbox. You hit the checkbox, you run it through the scanner, it'll pop it up depending on how your preferences are set. It says, how do you want me to name this? And it will OCR it, and if you want it, we'll get rid of the original that's not OCR. I mean, it very easily walks you through the process of how do you want to do this. And at the end of the day, you end up with this beautifully OCR document that you can just type some terms into Spotlight because, you know, Spotlight is smart. It will search inside documents. And you can find anything on your Mac. Wait, there's more though. Because if you take a highlighter, and green works the best in my experiments, and highlight certain words in it, like Edison bill or phone bill or whatever, um, you can check a box in the ScanSnap software, and it will automatically add those highlighted terms to the spotlight comments for the document. So it's super fast. Well, yeah, then it really finds it fast in Spotlight. And let's just go one step further and say, let's say you're using Hazel, which we just did a show on, and you have a yep. Hazel rule that looks for the contents of a document. So you automatically OCR your phone bill. And for instance, you have the Hazel rule say, look at the contents, and they say, uh, you know, Bell Phone Company, account number XYZ, and it looks for the word invoice. You know, something that's always on every invoice. Uh, as soon as Hazel sees those three things inside the file, which happens because you did OCR, you can tell Hazel to rename the file and file it for you automatically in a subfolder. And that means all you do is you put the piece of paper in your scanner and you push the button and uh, the Fujitsu software and Hazel take care of the rest for you. That's amazing. That is crazy. And I use it all the time. I've got many, many rules that do that. I just scan I scan in a check and it just goes away. It just gets filed for me. It's great. You can find out all about the Fujitsu line of scanners over at ez.com slash SSMPU. That stands for ScanSnap NPU. And you can also find a link to that on the nav bar of our website, as well as a link in our show notes. So thank you to Fujitsu and ScanSnap for their continued support of Mac Power users. Yes, thank you. And thank you for making an amazing product. I, I just We took the sponsor because we think they are the best scanner on the Mac. 
So uh, getting back to the workflow, though, so you've got the audio recorded and you start working with your video tools. And in addition to the paper animation you did off your iPad, you've also done text. Um, you've also done stop motion on oh, some of right, these. Yeah. That's my newest shtick, right? Um, yeah, so, you know, I don't have a camera and I've always been one of those people that wanted to do stop motion, but just knew I, I can't pick up a new hobby. And, uh, once I realized with the iPhone that the, the camera on the iPhone 4S is really as good as I, you know, it, it's more than enough for what I need. Um, and then I just realized I, there's gotta be a good stop motion animation app on there. And uh, even though I started out using a slightly different one, the one that I've kind of fell in love with for its to simplicity is uh, Framog Framographer by, uh, is it Neat? Uh, who are the people that do that? Studio Neat. Studio Neat, yeah. And it's just, it's so simple. Like you don't need to, I mean, instantly you know how it works. You just, you can, you can either do it on with a timer or just keep recording the frames and then you can decide what the frame rate is. And so I've been using that to do stop motion. They're the same guys who made the cosmonaut stylus and the glyph, um, the glyph camera tripod, yeah, yeah. Which, for the iPhone. which I use all of those things. Uh, uh, like the glyph is fabulous for, uh, uh, you know, I have a tripod that, uh, I picked up at Goodwill and I just put the glyph on there and the iPhone and, record my toddler stuffed animals doing writerly looking things and it does the trick. Yeah, that, that is kind of awesome. You did, <laughs> you did a, a, um, a video. It was about writers groups and there were a bunch of stuffed animals having their issues. Yeah. Yeah. I got a lot of feedback from my, my, uh, fellow writers in previous writing groups, just confirming or denying whether or not they were certain stuffed animals. <laughs> yeah. so, so just so you know, I was the bear, right? Yeah. I just want to know. <laughs> Not the snake. <laughs> the um, uh, you know, a, a really good stop motion iOS app is also uh, Boinks's iStop Motion. You should check that one yeah, out. Yeah, that it's, sounds interesting. Yeah, I need to look it, at that. It's interesting because they have an iPad and an iPhone app, and you can link them. So you can put the iPhone on a tripod, and you can actually drive the photography from the iPad, which is you know, you've got the bigger screen and the nicer interface. Yeah. I, I don't and know how actually much that put is. it all together on the iPad while still using the better camera on the iPhone. That's pretty slick. Yeah, they did a really good job with that. So you've got all these various media you're using, um, you know, diagramming, which was where you really started. Yeah, I forgot to even you mention know. Keynote was where kind of I started. Yeah. So how much do you use Keynote now? I don't use it at all now, unless I'm. You know, sometimes when I'm talking to people, like either uh, doing doing a little kind of teaching thing or or something, I'll use Keynote to set up set up some information. But for my animations, it, it's almost almost none of it is Keynote. Though I do hope to get back to it f with a few other of my ideas. But I, I've just decided to go fully lowbrow and show people how bad I scribble on the screen, how badly I scribble on the screen. <laughs> And the scribbles on the screen, are those done in Toon Boom as well, or are you just capturing your screen with your tablet? I, I usually am just capturing my screen uh, with – I'm capturing the screen with ScreenFlow and then just scribbling on the canvas either with Sketchbook Pro or with paper on my iPad and recording it on my Mac. 
you're using the bamboo tablet when you're doing it on your on sketchbook on your on yeah. your Mac, correct? Yeah. And and the bamboo now I'm not for I'm I'm somewhat familiar with it and that I know that it's a tablet and I know that you can use a stylus, but but it's got some some nifty features. Can you talk a little bit about what that what that does and why it's more? I think it's more than just a stylus. It it gives you some some pressure sensitivity and things like that, doesn't it? Yeah. So. Uh... Uh, this is where I once again sort of done my, should have done my research before I uh, came online here. But uh, I'm actually using the simplest one. Unfortunately, I don't have it here. I have it at my um, office. But I have uh, uh, one, the $50 one that doesn't – it doesn't uh, have too many features. So all it is is just uh, you have a stylus and uh, you just write on the – on the tablet itself. Um, let me see. I, I, I'm not fast enough to, to figure out which one it is, but it, it's the one comparable to what's called right now, the bamboo capture. I got an earlier version of it, but it, um, yeah, but I, I, I don't even know how it does the pressure sensitivity, but it's, it's just a pretty easy way to just scribble on the screen as if I were scribbling on a whiteboard and I'm not using any of their fancier features. I know they have some hardcore uh, products that I, I, I haven't even tried yet, partly because I, I, I have troubles rationalizing spending too much knowing what a horrible artist I am. So uh, I have, I, I've just used the bamboo capture or whatever. I tell you, you're a much better artist than me. <laughs> And 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 then w- what is your stylus of choice on the iPad now? Is it the Cosmonaut or using something else? So I, I've actually tried two. I, I tried the Cosmonaut and I like it a lot for uh, basic s- scribbling on the screen. But I also picked up the Jot Pro. Is that what it's called? I don't know how to pronounce it. I saw that at Macworld. A-D-O-N-I-T. I don't know how to pronounce their... Adonit? Yeah. But I use the Jot Pro, which has that funny little uh, circle on the end of it. It's a very odd-looking one. But the reason why is because I needed a little more precision, even though my writing is very cruddy. I needed a little more precision than the Cosmonaut to do some of the – like when I'm quoting uh, uh, an author that I want to quote for one of my animations, I needed a little more precision. And that one has a little more precision for uh, uh, scribbling. Like when you're trying to write text on a canvas. Right. Did that make sense? I hope I'm not making this all too, too convoluted here. No, no. <laughs> no I, the Cosmonaut feels like a whiteboard marker, yeah. you know, and the jot feels like a pen. Yeah. And so I ended up forking out for both of those as, as I kind of figure out what works best. I'm pretty new to the, using the iPad for this purpose. Now, Yuvi, what what was the app that you use on your Mac though when you're doing the stuff on your um your tablet, your bamboo? Oh yeah, so I I was using Sketchbook Pro. I think uh, yeah, is that Autodesk? They have they have a yeah. they have a free app at the Mac App Store, uh, Sketchbook Express, which totally gives you the feel for what the product is like, and it's very geared towards like stylus based. Like the they have a very unusual. Uh, menuing system or the way you change pens or change colors that is geared towards using your stylus. So um, it, it's a pretty interesting app that once I got a feel for, I, I, I kind of liked. And the Sketchbook Pro just has a few 
more features like you can do layered layered uh, drawings. So, so now that you've worked with both uh, and created videos with both, what's your preference using the iPad with something like paper or using Sketchbook Pro on your Mac with your bamboo? Uh, well, the iPad's more fun, but it's still too new. Like it's at that phase where it's so new that it, it's really fun because it's new. So I'm going to have to... F- play around with it a little more and then see where I ultimately land. I don't know about you guys, but for me, you know, like the first few weeks I try anything, I I can't really judge it properly because I'm just intrigued by its newness. Um, But I I think I might be leaning towards the iPad right now. Uh, Yeah, I did. I did something similar recently. I gave a presentation and uh, for my slides, rather than do the typical, you know, bullet points, all the other nonsense, I, just opened a drawing app on my iPad and I just drew a picture for, I think I had like 10 pictures. And when I gave my presentations, each one was just this hand drawn picture behind me. And I thought it was really, you know, kind of, you know, it was, it was very rough, but at the same time I had great feedback <laughs> from the audience. They really liked it. Nice. So yeah. it's uh it's definitely a changing world and, and looking at these tools is changing the way we're, we're doing this stuff. Yeah. Now, now t- we talked earlier in the show about Toon Boom, and it's not clear to me how that really fits in the workflow. Where where do you use Toon Boom? Well, okay, let me think of a, a a good recent example where I needed Toon Boom. It's been a few rounds since I've been experimenting with stop motion and iPad. It's been a few rounds since I used it hardcore. But oh, let's say for instance, in one of my earlier presentations, I wanted to show a stick figure. I was talking about time management. This was one of my earlier ones. And I wanted to show, I was talking about how my wife and I are just kind of juggling all these things in life between taking care of the kids and our own projects and our own jobs and everything else. And so I wanted to talk about how we're juggling these things and that we sometimes drop a few balls. So I wanted to show a stick figure juggling a bunch of colored balls and then dropping one on the floor. So that's the kind of thing where it's not just me sketching on the screen, but I want to show that occurring. So I I would use Toon Boom just to get the stick figure, you know, have a few, uh, draw a few versions of that stick figure to to mimic the juggling uh, uh, movement, and then repeat that with the balls going in the air and one of the balls falling down. So that's all done with... Uh, Toon Boom, or for instance, the one Obsession Time Voice, where I talk about John Groover and Merlin Mann's great uh, South by Southwest uh, discussion in 2009. That one I wanted. That to, was a great video, by the way. Yeah, that was a Thank fun. Thank you one. for doing that. I was flattered that that they they liked it rather than being horrified, like when I showed John Gruber dropping his pants. That was Toon Boom doing <laughs> the the dropping trow of uh, when when that occurred. <laughs> Is that, does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it does. And then, so you, you create those as videos and then you, you export them from Toon Boom as a video file and then just import that into ScreenFlow. Yeah. And and I apologize if I'm kind of going around with this. Uh, Yeah. It, it is kind of a circular process where like I'll make, I'll sometimes make videos outside of ScreenFlow and then import them into ScreenFlow. Like in that case, I make a, I make a movie with Toon Boom, then export it, bring it into ScreenFlow. And I, I'll, do, I'll do some fa- final editing in ScreenFlow. Again, speeding it up, slowing it down, or 
freeze frame, doing a freeze frame in the middle, depending on the pacing I need. Well, I think the videos are amazing work and I'm glad that you're doing them and I'm glad that you're continuing to do them. I, I really enjoy them. And anyone who's listening to the show, I, I strongly recommend you go check them out. Um, I think we should take a break though, real quick and talk about a sponsor. Okay. So let's talk about our last sponsor and that is hover and hover is what I use now to manage all of my domain names, and I could not be happier. So have you ever woken up in the middle of the night with a flash of brilliance of something that you're going to do and you want to register a domain? Absolutely. Sometimes yeah, I shouldn't Hover. have, but I did anyway. But Hover makes it so easy because unlike the other websites that have all of this clutter and the you, you know what's on their on their website that I don't particularly appreciate, Hover has a simple, clean interface. You go to Hover, you type in the domain name you want, you hit search. If it's available, great. Boom, you buy it, and you're done. You don't have to say, oh, well, uncheck this box if you don't want to buy this extra thing, and uncheck this box if you don't want to buy this extra thing. And you don't have to be tricked among 40 different pages of trying to navigate just so that you can check out. You just click the domain you want, click buy, and you're done. If you want to transfer a domain name to Hover, and I have transferred every single one of my domain names to Hover, that process also could not be simpler. They have great tutorials on their support website that will walk you through the process of everything you have to do with every single hosting provider to say, okay, well, first you need to unlock it, and then you need to get an authorization code, and then you need to do this. And it walks you through this process to make sure that your transfer goes through to Hover without any problems. But if you don't want to do that, all you have to do is pick up the phone and call Hover. And they answer the phone on the first ring. Like a real life person actually answers the phone and says, yes, I can help you with that. And then you make it their problem. And they will take care of whatever you want to do, whether it's registering new domains or transferring domains or getting something set up. I could not be happier with Hover's service. And David, I understand that you've you've bought some other services from Hover as well. Yeah, well, I switched to Hover long before we took the sponsorship, but I think they're a great service because you just log on and it's a real simple interface and it takes all the complication out of buying and managing domains, which I get from just about every other service I've tried. So in addition to putting my domains over there, you know, I also have maxsparky.com and I needed a mail server and they've got a mail server service. So I went ahead and got that when I first moved over, and I've kind of outgrown the the basic service, which is thirty five dollars a year. It gets, you're so popular, yeah, well, right. <laughs> but it's it's two <laughs> it's two gigabytes of storage, inbound and outbound. IMAP, which is I think really important. It's got webmail and email forwarding. So you know the basic service for thirty five bucks a year, you're managing your own email server, and that's that's awesome. I just upgraded to their Mail Plus service, which gets me to ten gigabytes of storage. Uh, web-based calendar, file sharing, email recovery. I mean, it's just got some some supercharged uh, issues. And it also allowed me to buy multiple accounts because I wanted to get some other accounts from Max Sparky with some other stuff I'm doing. And for a very reasonable price, I was able to get in. I have five email accounts set up all in this uh, Mail Plus service. And, you know, it is makes Hover really a soup-to-nut solution. If you've got a domain and you want to add email or you want to add some other services to it, you can. They're not going to force it down your throat, but it's quietly there available if you need it. And I think that makes a big difference. And, you know, there's peace of mind there, too, knowing that you've got your mail, you're paying for it, you've got support, and that somebody's going to be there and be accountable that should you ever have a problem, which I wouldn't expect you to with Hover. But if you do, 
there's someone that you can pick up the phone and call and that they will make it their problem and take care of it. Yeah, the guy I talked to at Hover is Glenn. I mean, when I call, I just ask for Glenn because he helped me the very first time. Uh, it wasn't, this was way before, you know, they were sponsored of the show. They didn't even know who Mac power users were. And uh, Glenn helped me out, you know? So <laughs> I feel like... Yeah, Mike helped me out. So yeah. Cheers to Glenn and Mike. Yeah, you know, it's like you feel like you have a personal relationship with this company. They're super nice. And when you call with an idiot question, which I have many, uh, they just helped me through it. And they didn't laugh at me. They said, okay, because I get a little confused, frankly, by all this domain stuff. I'm not, you know, a super nerd when it comes to managing internet services and transferring. And I was scared when I was moving Max Sparky from one name uh, server or one service to another, because what if didn't things didn't work and the site just went down? You know, I was, I was very nervous about it. They helped me through the process. It's not too expensive. Um, uh, just a fantastic service. I am without a question. will do all of my future domain and email management through hover. Yeah. I've had a couple of people ask me, well, you know, hover sounds great, but I'll switch to them. You know, when I'm done with my, my current contract with my current provider. There's really no need to wait. I transferred all of my domains to Hover. And what I love about Hover is they don't pay you, charge you for the extra stuff. There's no charge for that who is privacy. So you don't have to worry about people looking up your domains and finding out where you live. Do you know if you did a who is search, if you didn't pay extra for the privacy screening on your other site that they can find out where you live and where your house is? That's kind of freaky to me, but Hover doesn't charge you for that. And secondly, when you transfer a domain that you already have to Hover, they are going to extend your existing registration. It, you're not going to restart it. So if you already had six months or so left on your other domain, you're not going to lose anything by going ahead and moving to Hover now. So go ahead and check them out. You can use coupon code MACPOWERUSERS at checkout. That will not only make sure that they know that we get credit for sending you there and that their sponsorship dollars of our podcast is working, but it will also give you 10% off your bill or click on the link in the show notes or on our website. And we want to thank Hover for their continued support of Mac Power users. So UV, the whole premise for these videos is that you're a failed writer, but you're not really a failed writer because you've got this, this novel in the work that's coming out very soon. You've got a publishing deal. So tell us a little bit how you do writing on your Mac. Yeah. So uh, nowadays, you know, I started out having this giant, hard to manage Microsoft Word document many years ago until I discovered Scrivener. And that's really been at the centerpiece of my, well, I should clarify that that's when I'm working on a novel, I mean, a book length piece or a kind of complicated, messy short story or essay. I, I avoid using Scrivener for the really short projects, but but Scrivener I think is amazing when I need to manage a bigger project. So that's at the centerpiece of how I do it on my Mac. And then do you do you start in Scrivener or do you start somewhere else and then end up in Scrivener? Yeah, so I start I use NV Alt, uh, which I, I like just to manage my little text files, which I have a lot of. And I'll use a a, a text editor either on my iPhone, iPad, or on my Mac, usually to do the the early stuff or more of the ideas aspect of things or just getting things started. And at the moment, I'm using ByWord on my Mac. And I'm also using ByWord on my, I'm experimenting with ByWord on my iPad and iPhone. Although Have I, you tried the iCloud sync on that? Yeah, yet? yeah. And it's it's still in the early stages for me, so too soon to say, but I think I like the idea. You know, I like Dropbox for having lots of files. But if I've got like six six key documents I'm working on 
at the time. I, I think I like the iCloud model, but still, I'm still te- in the testing phase of that. So, yeah, and that's exactly how I'm using it too. There's a couple PDFs, a couple text documents, and I'm finding iCloud really convenient for keeping those. Yeah, that's that's but what I've been my doing. you know 500 text file in VL database, I'm not sure I'd want to stick that in iCloud. Yeah, I wouldn't even know how to get around that way. So yeah, so I, I'm doing it the same way, and I think I like that model. Um, yeah, so I, I do start things with in a simple text editor and just scribble it however I want. And then once I realize, uh-oh, this thing is getting big, then it goes into Scrivener. Now in Scrivener, do you use the outlining and tools and some of the other, you know, whiz bang features, or do you just start writing? I use, I would say I use a few of the whiz bang features, but not a lot of them. For instance, I don't do almost any research in Scrivener, which is one of their great features. I just happen to not be big on using it that way. So, but, but what I do like with it is I, I use it to organize, like I'm constantly looking at the corkboard view of things or the outline view of things and checking to see, well, how long was that scene? How is that scene out of, is the pacing seem right? I'll also color code the, each of the documents within a project. Let's say if I'm struggling with the point of view, like I shifted from the wife's point of view to the husband's, just to look at that stuff. So I use it to visualize wh- how this novel is going. Um, so that's, that's how whiz bangy I use it, you know, not, not a ton of the features, but a few of them that are key for me. You know, it occurs to me, we've talked about Scrivener several times on the show. I think we even did a show about Scrivener at one point. We did. Yeah. Um, but you're the first person on the show we've had that, that is a fiction writer talking about Scrivener. And it, it is interesting because it's a very different workflow in a lot of ways. I mean, when I do tech writing, I use the research stuff uh, constantly. Right. Um, right. And yeah, it's been really interesting listening to people who have come on your show and talking about how they use it uh, because there's so many powerful, powerful ways to use it. And in a way, I'm kind of using it for the kind of the old school reason. I mean, there isn't, isn't Keith a novelist or, or who's yeah. a developer? I can't remember which one. Yeah. Um, Keith is, yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, so, and it, it, it's amazing as a, as a novelist tool, as far as managing these kind of projects, but it can work for so many other use cases. Now, what are you using in terms of keeping track of your, or if anything, I mean, I would think that one of the things that would be equally important, whether you're doing fiction or nonfiction, is in the fiction context, I'm sure you have to keep track of your characters and their interactions and how they, you know, how they know each other and relate to each other and maybe a little bit of their backstory. Is that done in Scrivener or you do that somewhere else? Well, even though Scrivener is very capable of doing that, I've recently, in the past few months, dumbed down pretty much how I do so many things to just simple lists, either text files or I use task paper um, to just do write simple lists. So I'll, I'll have lists for different things. Like for instance, for my work in progress, I have lists for what are the things my characters are obsessed with. And I just kind of boil them down to very simple text lists uh, I've, I somehow got overwhelmed trying to think, oh, I could do it this way, or I could use Evernote to track this, or I could, and I just decided, forget it. You know, I, I, I get too overwhelmed too easily. I'm just going to go back to text files with lists and just put them 
an intuitive, like each file ha- is like an intuitive group of lists that relate in some way. And that, that kind of sums it up. I think that's a common theme between a lot of our guests and, and myself. I know that because we're kind of geeky, that that's a very easy trap to fall yeah. into when we have a lot of work to say, well, let me build a better mousetrap uh, of, for the process. Right. And spend all this time. In fact, I think some people could legitimately complain this whole workflow series is just, you know, productivity porn. <laughs> but I, I do think that, you know, when you work, when you're really working, you're trying to produce, you do need to distill things down once in a while and say, okay, am I making more out of this than I need to? And yeah. sometimes just a little text list is all it takes. Yeah. And it definitely depends on, you know, the constitution of each person or, you know, what, what each personality is like. And I realized for me, I, I want things to be pretty simple because otherwise it'll feel overwhelming. I'll just get too angst ridden if it gets to a certain level of bigness. So now I'm all the way back to the same way I did it in 1988. <laughs> so, so, but now your novel is, is in the home stretch now, isn't it? Yeah. So my first novel is in the home stretch. Uh, and, and, that, and you wrote that in Scrivener, right? Yeah. And that I, now how are you working with an editor? Okay. On that? Yeah. So that, that definitely, and I think it's similar to how uh, you described it, David, with your with your experience. Where it went out once it went out of Scrivener and went to the editor, it never came back into Scrivener. So I got it to my editor in Microsoft Word, and he did a monstrous amount of change tracking, and I just edited it in Word, sent it back to him. He sent it back. I didn't want to do any of this importing and exporting. It just seemed too error prone, particularly when we're dealing with hundreds of hundreds of changes over 300 pages. I just was terrified of trying to get it back in. And I, I didn't honestly need it back in Scrivener at that point because we, uh, you know, I, I knew what the novel was supposed to look like. Although I guess one clarification to that is he did there was one big issue which is basically the last quarter of the book had a it had a flawed ending that i needed to re reimagine and i ended up i think at one point in desperation using scrivener just for the corkboard like i didn't even have a i didn't even have a uh con- content That's, in there yeah. i just was using it for the outline in the corkboard saying what if i killed him off in this chapter rather than this chapter or something like that and uh and so I did use it for that, but I stuck to Word just because that's that's the language of my editor. Yeah, it's, it's kind of sad. Yeah, <laughs> but but you know, Scrivener does the job to get you to the point to make that massive Word file. Yes, and that's fine. And I had the same experience. the The new book I'm working on now, I didn't use a, um, I didn't use an editor in that way. We didn't need Word, but we did use Pages in a similar fashion. So it's. I think it's still there. There's a, certainly room for Scrivener to improve, I think, with some change tracking features. Now that there's a version on both the Windows and the Mac, I could see it working. Yeah. But with, with big publishers, you're not going to convince them to try Scrivener. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like just, an industry shift kind of. I heard you talking to, uh, you know, about the, like the movie business. So, wow, that, that sounds even worse as far as like these big old products that <laughs> have been around yeah. for a while. Yeah. So really you do most of your writing in script. Well, yeah, but I guess I, one to. thing I failed to mention was I, I do use its syncing feature and I sync it 
with Dropbox. So I am using, I am still working on my novel when it's, when it's in progress. I'm still working on my scenes and my chapters on my iPhone because you know, sometimes it's, I'm at my day job where I have a Windows machine and, um, feel free to edit this out if necessary. But, you know, I'm sitting, sitting there in the, in the bathroom stall, sneaking a few more seconds on my iPhone to fix a scene <laughs> and then coming back and acting like it was just a regular bathroom break. <laughs> so, I love now, that. So. Tell us about how that works, because I think that was something that was introduced after we did our Scrivener show. Yeah. So right now they, they it's a pretty slick feature uh, where you can uh, export, or I, I don't know if they call it, I think they just call it sync. I forget what the feature is called, but you can sync it to, uh, to text files and you can, if you sync it to text files in a Dropbox folder, I think it also works with simple note. Then you have all your chapters or sections or whatever it is you're working on in a bunch of files that can be prefixed with like a, a number. So they, they are have, have the order that they are in, in your book. And so then if you make a change to any of those files, the next time you launch Scrivener, it'll tell you, oh, there's some changes in this section. Do you want me to bring them back in? And you can do change tracking to see what changed if you're nervous about letting it pummel over your your old version. And so that way you can edit it with a text editor, then go back to your Scrivener project, open it, and say, hey, do you want to reimport these changes and you're you're back in business. You don't have to do any of them. You don't have to do any of it manually. You see, I'd like to take some credit for that. I'm not yeah, sure if it's justified yeah. or not. When uh, when the when the iPad first came out, I wrote Keith and said, "Hey, you know," or I don't remember if he wrote me. I wrote him, but he wanted to get an iPad, and he's over in the UK. So, um, with his money, I bought one and shipped it off to him. And he he was struggling at that point to figure out what to do with the iPad and Scrivener. And I was the one who said, look, you know, if you use a simple note sync, we don't need all of the features of Scrivener. All we need is the ability to open up our Scrivener file, you yeah. know, the, to work on the text on the go. And at least I put a bug in his ear. I didn't do any of the work, obviously. Um, do you use but, that feature, uh, David, with your stuff? Yeah, yeah. I do. The, uh, the iPad at work and also this book I'm yeah. just finishing up now. I, and the way I use it is I use a dedicated text editor for it. I use Notesy. Yes. Um, and so I have one text editor because there's so many text editors for the iPad and so many of them are so good. I picked one I really like and that just syncs to the Scrivener file for the big project I'm currently working on. And, and it works great. So I'm somewhere I can open it up. I can go through and make changes. It allows me to, to work in the coffee shop with the iPad, which is just what I want. You know, the one caveat is you have to be a little careful, make sure that everything syncs completely. Um, I never ran into any syncing conflicts, but it seems to me this is a really great place to have one. If you start, you know, working on both the, the Mac and the iPad at the same time without making sure the sync process is complete. Yeah. And I, I, I had that same worry. And for a while I always did the change tracking to check my changes because I was afraid I'd lose something. But you know, after the 50th time that it worked right, I decided, ah, oh, I'll trust it. <laughs> it's but, just text. Yeah. So it's not that complicated, but you don't want to be running changes in two different places at once because it, it's not really built for that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's great though. It's a, uh, so you pick a text editor you like, 
you set a folder in Dropbox, you turn on this, the Dropbox syncing in Scrivener, and from there, you just link that that iPad app that you like to that folder, and you're golden. Yeah, it really works out easily. And I know, I, I saw on his blog that they're working on a Scrivener for iPad, and part of me is... Yeah, I forgot to mention yeah, that. Yeah, yeah they, they are working on a version, so eventually it may be even better. Yeah, and part of me thinks, well, I, I like how it works now, but I'm sure if you know, that this version will be fabulous. Uh, but, uh, but I, it, well, just think if you could have your cork board on your iPad. Yeah, yeah, that, nice. Uh, but you know, one thing that one advantage to it now is that it forces me into a certain mindset. Like when I'm, when I'm on one of these devices, I'm, I'm doing different kinds of, I'm doing a different kind of work than I'm when I, when I'm at my laptop for whatever reason, I kind of like that division of labor where, um, I'm working on scenes when I'm on my iPad or iPhone, and I'm working on organizing the project when I'm at my Mac. Whatever that means. Yeah. No, that makes <laughs> yeah. sense. That makes sense. I mean, I, I think that you know the unitasking nature of the iPad, in a lot of ways, make it a superior device. I mean. Yeah. So, what else do you use your iPad for besides your writing projects? How has it changed your workflow and your life? Um. Well, my toddler owns it part time, and uh, okay. no, he uh, he he. Uh, well, we've I've just been really impressed with how many nice little uh, storytelling and educational things there are on it. But as for me, uh, let's see. There's some things I'm proud of, and some things I'm ashamed of that I use my iPad for. Uh, I mean, one thing I thought was really nice is I mean the Instapaper and Tweetbot and a couple of these apps that are so well are so well designed for the iPad. Um, I'm just, I really enjoy using them for the, those really elegant apps that you can tell the developer really thought about the experience on the iPad and didn't cobble something together. And it's really satisfying when you find those kinds of apps. Um, it's a new world, yeah. you know, the, uh, We've said it before on the show, but I I think that a lot of people this is going to be their computer. Yeah, very shortly. In fact, I I I, I recently took a a trip to visit my folks. I'm in Portland, Oregon, and they're in Atlanta, Georgia, and they were struggling with various aspects of using the computer. And I just flew out there one weekend and bought them an iPad and just said, "I've set it up." My dad with his his physics lectures that he likes to to watch and my mom with the bridge games and stuff like that. I just set them up with the stuff and let them, let them run with it. And they, they called me like a week later and just said, we're done with this computer stuff. We're just sticking to an iPad. Yeah. I, I think same a, thing. a lot of people are going that way. I have a sister who we got her an iPad for Christmas a year ago. So a year and a half now. And I asked her, when is the last time she turned on her Mac? You know, it's like on Christmas. Yeah. Well, they're getting there with that stuff, but uh, for the stuff you're doing, you're still going to need your Scrivener and you're going to need your Mac keyboard. Oh, yeah, yeah, keyboard. yeah. I'm definitely on the Mac a lot. You know, one of the questions we often ask guests is, you know, what are your favorite little tools that, you know, don't merit the, you know, the discussion of something like Scrivener, but you use all the time and love? Oh. You got any of those gems? Let's see. Well, well, one thing I've been using that uh, I haven't heard too many people talk about, I, I think most of the power user types are into keyboard shortcuts. But one thing I've noticed with my laptop is I'm into 
trackpad gestures quite a bit. Like I can, for instance, four finger tap my uh, trackpad more quickly than I can do control shift R or something like that. And so I'm using a, a better touch tool. Do you know that? One? Yeah, that's a great app. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he, I, I forget it's uh, again, uh, free with donations. So he's uh, he's really powerful stuff. So I pretty much with every program, I, I have a few gestures, you know, I don't go crazy. You can program a hundred different gestures on there, you know, put two toes, three fingers and your nose on the trackpad and it'll do something. But, uh, but I just pick, you know, a few easy to do gestures on the trackpad. And for every app, I have that as my most common, the most important thing I do, like with Scrivener to go into that kind of, not the full screen mode, but whatever the, you know, where the, it takes over, the text takes over the screen. It used to be full screen mode, but now that Apple has full, or the Mac has full screen mode, it's called something else. So, you know, that's, that's my four finger tap just to quickly get in there and quickly get out of there. So anyway, that's a cool little utility app that I I really appreciate. You know, I have that downloaded and it's on my list of things to do. In fact, I think there's an OmniFocus entry in there somewhere saying get better at this app because there's so much you could do with it. Yeah. If you just take the time and get the muscle memory developed, I'm crazy about keyboard shortcuts, but I, I certainly need to do that because I use a trackpad with my iMac as well. So there's no reason why I couldn't incorporate that into my workflow better. Yeah. And my suggestion uh, for people like, I mean, when you're trying to work it in is just to pick like one gesture that's easy to use that doesn't conflict with an Apple gesture and pick the most exciting, interesting, important feature for you with each app and you can control it per app. Yeah. That's a way to start. <laughs> and and he gives this thing away. It's crazy. I mean, I, I've, I've bought some of his apps in the Mac App Store because he also has, um, was it Better Snap Tool right. that he sells in the Mac App Store? Just because I feel like I should give this guy something because yeah, he spends so much time working on this app. It's great. The same thing. <laughs> yeah. Katie, do you use Better Touch Tool? Have you ever played with that? No, I don't, but I need to because I just bought a magic trackpad for my MacBook Air to use in addition to a mouse. So, Okay. So that's when you've got it tethered to your screen? Yeah, because my Mac, yes, when it's tethered to my screen because my MacBook Air hovers when it's tethered to my screen. Yeah. Okay. It's up above the desk, yeah. Yeah. What else do you use, UV? Well, uh, uh, I, I don't need to um, convince you guys of the value of OmniFocus, but... I do love, love that, uh, for managing my tasks and I kind of use it in a different way in that I don't manage my full projects there. Most of my OmniFocus is a bunch of, uh, what do you call those kind of projects that are like single action. And so I use those just to remind me to like, go look at this, this text file where my novel, where I'm managing my novel projects and things like that. Go look at this text file. So, so I use it just to keep kicking the can down the road with all my projects, but not putting my whole projects in there, but it's critical for me. So I don't uh, lose track of things. I do like reader on both the iOS and the Mac, just to keep track of RSS feeds. I can't think, I wish I had one that like no one else knew about that only I use, but (laughs) um, I don't have anything too remarkable that comes to mind. 
Well, that's because you're so busy making these great videos and writing these books. So, <laughs> well, so, so when is your book going to come out? Yeah, so uh, the, the official release is August 14th. It's called A Brilliant Novel in the Works. You'll be surprised to hear it's about a neurotic guy that's failing to write a novel. And um, it, I believe, will be coming out in digital formats. This publisher I'm working with is a little unusual in that they release the digital versions in advance of the paperback. So I think in mid-July – It'll be very available in various digital formats, and I honestly don't know at this point because I've been so swamped managing other aspects to the release of the book um, to find out exactly which versions will be released and when. Um, yeah, so so uh, that's that's when that when that comes out. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I cannot wait to read it. I've been watching your journey as you've been going through creating <laughs> it, and uh, as a lot of your readers and. Uh, viewers, I'm sure we all feel like we're in there with you and we can't <laughs> wait to see what you've created. Yeah. I'm so curious since, you know, I, I, all the stuff I've been talking about are, is about like the, it's nonfiction. And so, but now here is my release of fiction to the world, but, it, but it is pretty much this book in particular is so much my voice and consciousness that it, it'll probably be disturbingly familiar to the people who have seen my videos. That's <laughs> uh, going to be great. I can't wait to read it. So when it does come out, make sure to let us know and we'll, uh, we'll mention it on the follow-up, whatever oh. shows coming out at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you. I uh, fabulous. really appreciate having you on. Yeah. It's an honor to be here. I've been listening to you guys for quite a few years now. So, uh, uh it's, it's fun and maybe a little terrifying to, be live with you or recording with you guys. That's okay. It's <laughs> terrifying for me every week and I still do it. <laughs> and th- those videos you bring, bring all of us so much joy and, and maybe we learn a little bit along the way and it's just great work, UV and can't wait to see the, uh, the book come out and uh, everybody who hasn't gone, check it out, uh, uvzalco.com. I love the header on the website. It says, welcome to the desperate website of a desperate writer. Stick around. I am lonely. <laughs> doesn't get better than that. Yeah, it was a serious banner until I realized, wait a second, that's not my natural state of existence. (laughs) All right, Yuvi, we'll see you next time. And thanks for coming by. Thanks so much. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for this episode. We want to thank Yuvi for joining us. And you can check out all of his stuff over at uvzalco.com. And we'll have links to everything that were mentioned in the show notes. And David, where can you find your lovingly crafted show notes? at uh, MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Yeah. And if you want to send us email, you can send that to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. You can follow us on Twitter. It's at MacPowerUsers or Katie is at Katie Floyd and I'm at Max Barkey. All right. And we love your iTunes comments. Thanks for keeping those rolling in. Uh, and next episode, we are going to talk all about our setups. We've gotten a lot of requests from people saying, we want to know what you use for your stuff. What kind of printer are you using? What kind of keyboard are you using? What is all the stuff that you use with your Mac? So I'm really looking forward to that show. Yeah, gearhead show. I think we're yeah. overdue. Yeah. Uh, so thanks again to our sponsors for this episode, the Omni Group, Hover, and Fujitsu. And uh, we will see you all next time.